from Brown Cow Studios in Galton Gateway, Montana, this is News Nerds. I'm Ezra Graham. The former CDC director, Dr. Tom Frieden, joins us this week to discuss the latest on the COVID pandemic, including the Omicron variant and 95 masks and more. Dr. Frieden served as CDC director from 2009 to 2017. He's also the founder of Resolve to Save Lives, an organization working to prevent cardiovascular disease and epidemics. Also, television legend Betty White has died. She was 99. It's Thursday, January 20th, 2022, and this is News Nerds. First is my interview with Dr. Tom Frieden. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's wonderful to speak with you. So we are dealing with the Omicron variant, um, and really it's just gripped the nation in the past few weeks um, in that time that the WHO has labeled it a variant of concern. How does Omicron's severeness compare to other variants, specifically Delta? Omicron is really different, and it shows us that the virus that causes COVID is capable of throwing us a lot of curveballs. Omicron is one of the most infectious of all infectious diseases we've ever seen, but it is way less severe than Delta or even than the earlier variants. Partly it's less severe because so many people have either been infected before or have had a vaccination or more. But even among those people who've never had either, it may well be less severe and substantially so. How much so? We really won't know until we spend more time because uh, one of the things that has been very complicated through this whole epidemic is if someone's in the hospital and they test positive for COVID, is it from COVID or with COVID? Now, early on when it was the alpha and delta variants, it was overwhelmingly from COVID. And in fact, there were many people hospitalized or sadly who died who weren't diagnosed. But with Omicron, it really is very different. With Omicron, it may well be that many of the people just happen to have it because it's so common and only some people are really seriously ill from it. Now, the vaccine's effectiveness, uh, we've, been, when we've been hearing about lots of breakthrough cases. How does its effectiveness go down when it's confronted with the Omicron variant? Because um, the Delta variant was was still very bad, but the vaccines really affected uh, were very effective against that variant. But now the Omicron variant is just we've been hearing about so many breakthrough cases. It's just unbelievable. We have to really separate two things. One, does a vaccine prevent you from getting infected? And two, does it prevent you from getting severely ill? And what the vaccines are phenomenally, phenomenally effective at doing is preventing people from getting severely ill. And for Omicron, the vaccines aren't great at protecting against infection unless you've had a vaccination fairly recently within the last few months. But all of the vaccines are superb at preventing severe illness and death. And that's what really matters. When do you expect this Omicron wave to be over? We've been hearing about um, hospitalizations from some of the Eastern states in the United States going down, but places like here in Montana, we're really getting the wave right now. Um, 
So when do you expect this wave to be over with? It really, really depends on where you are. For certain parts of the country, it's already coming down. For other parts, it's just beginning to hit. But the, the peak lasts a few weeks, not more than a month or so, and then rapidly falls based on what we're seeing around the US and from other parts of the world. Um, if you are fully vaccinated and boosted, what is it safe to do? It really depends in part on who you are and who you have a lot of contact with. So if you're vaccinated and boosted, you're very unlikely to get severely ill. However, if you're older or immunosuppressed, then you may be at increased risk. And um, that's an example of the need to be specific. What does the virus do? It adapts. If we want to respond to it effectively, we have to adapt also. And I would say if you're vaccinated and boosted, it also depends on what's happening in your community. So if you're 92 years old um, and you're vaccinated and boosted and there's a lot of Omicron in your community, it's not a good idea to go to choir. On the other hand, if you're young and healthy, vaccinated and boosted, and you don't live, live with anyone who's uh, frail, elderly, immunosuppressed, then you can pretty much do whatever you'd like to do. On the other hand, certain activities we know really do increase risk. So singing in unclosed spaces is probably the highest risk activity we know. Eating or shouting uh, in a restaurant or a bar is another way to really efficiently spread the virus. So it's a question of who you are, where you are, and what's happening there. That's why at Resolve to Save Lives, one of the things that we've advocated for is an alert level system. And the New York Times actually provides this for every county in the country. We provided technical input for them for how to do that. And we've done that in Africa and other parts of the world as well. And that's not telling people what to do or what not to do. That's informing people of what's happening in their community. How hard is it raining COVID in your community? And then you can decide whether you feel comfortable going to a restaurant or bar or ball game. And there are lots of things outdoors that are almost always safe. There's almost no spread of COVID outdoors. But if you're indoors in a crowded place with a lot of COVID spreading and you live with someone who's in their 80s or 90s or immunosuppressed, then you really have to be careful. Tell me more about the resolve to save lives and what it's been doing to help to curb epidemics like this and future pandemics and epidemics. At Resolve to Save Lives, we have one core concept, to partner with countries and individuals and organizations around the world to save as many lives as possible. And we have two broad areas that we work. One is to prevent heart attacks and strokes. And the second, is to reduce the risk of epidemics. In the COVID pandemic, we've worked in many countries, especially in more than 30 countries in Africa, to help countries identify problems faster and respond faster so they can reduce the impact on both lives and livelihoods. We're very fortunate to have generous donors, so we don't uh, take government money, and uh, we're able to support communities governments, organizations, so that the world can do much better at finding, stopping, and preventing health threats. In fact, we've made a, uh, a proposal for the world 
to have what, what's called 717, that every single outbreak anywhere in the world would be identified within seven days, reported within one day, and good control measures in place within seven days. And if we did that, we could drastically reduce the risk that anything as deadly and devastating as COVID would ever happen again. So we've talked about Omicron, and once this wave is over, do you think Delta will come back, or will it really just have been displaced so harshly by Omicron's uh, trans, uh, just how transmissible it is, that it will not come back and we won't have to deal with that variant anymore? Ezra, here's the plain truth. Anyone who tells you that they know the answer to that question doesn't know enough about COVID. We just don't know what the future will hold. The virus is adapting and we have to be adaptive to it. Now, there are lots of theories. One theory is that Omicron protects against Delta because there's some lab studies that suggest that it does. And that's a theory. Um, you know, Yogi Berra said, uh, in theory, theory and practice are the same. In practice, they're different. Um, there's another theory that says that, oh, uh, the variants are going to get less and less virulent. There's no reason to think that that's the case. Pi or tau or omega could be just as transmissible as COVID and deadlier than Delta. We just don't know. And that's why we need to be adaptive. We need to figure out what's happening and quickly adjust what we're doing so that we can continue to work and learn and most of all, save lives. The CDC has updated its mask guidance to indicate that Americans should wear N95 or KN95 masks if they are available. So why aren't those cloth masks that everybody has been wearing for the past two years, um, why aren't they good enough at combating the virus? Any tightly fitting mask will be really good at protecting other people from the virus that you might spread. But if you want to protect yourself, you may need to up your mask game just as the virus has upped its infectivity game. And that means that especially if you're older or immunosuppressed, and particularly if you're indoors and people around you aren't masking, then up your mask game to an N95, KN95, or similar mask. Americans um, really, Sometimes in their areas, they cannot find masks like N95s or KN95s. Where is where's the best place to find N95 masks? I understand that the federal government will be making these available at pharmacies starting in a couple of weeks. Um, the challenge is making sure that you're not getting cheated, making sure that it's not a counterfeit mask, because there's still a lot of counterfeit masks out there. One hint is if it says NIOSH approved, that's the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which is part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, part of the, uh, if it says NIOSH approved, then it's more likely to be um, uh, legitimate. Um, if it's a branded mask, it's more likely to be legitimate. If it's from a reliable wholesaler or retailer like Home Depot, then it's more likely to be legitimate. The CDC has been updating guidance on not only masks, but quarantines. Uh, what is the latest there on what the CDC says you should do if you are uh, close to somebody who has tested positive or if you are that person who has tested positive? Great. So CDC 
saw the Omicron tsunami coming and quickly adjusted its recommendations appropriately. Unfortunately, this wasn't well explained to the public. But basically, let's start with if you've got a positive test. That means you're really infectious. And by the time you test positive, you probably uh, may have been past a peak of your infectivity. You're highly infectious for a day or two before you feel the least bit sick. And that's why it's so important that there's universal masking, because you may not know that you're spewing COVID. So you're very infectious for a day or two before you're sick, and then for a couple of days after you're sick. And many people don't feel sick at all. They're asymptomatic with COVID. So what the CDC guidance says is if you've uh, had a positive test or you're feeling sick from COVID, then five days after the positive test or five days after you have felt sick, you could uh, go out with a mask unless you're going to visit a relative who's older or immunosuppressed, or you're otherwise going to be exposed, potentially exposing people who might be vulnerable. And in any case, for that second five days of the 10 days of isolation, you need to wear a mask all the time, which means no restaurants, no going anywhere where you have to take off your mask. Now, on the other hand, if you've been exposed to somebody, somebody tells you, as they should, you know, I'm really sorry, but I didn't know I was uh, infectious yesterday. I started feeling sick today. I got a test and I was positive. And yesterday we had a meal at the restaurant together inside. So you've been exposed. Uh, well, uh, you have to make sure that you don't expose other people because again, you could be highly infectious even if you feel completely fine. So you need to quarantine and you can quarantine for five days now. It used to be 10, but you should take a test at the fifth day and ideally two tests. And if you're negative, fourth and fifth day or fifth and sixth day, then you can probably go about your business. But again, wear a mask all the time when you're indoors near others. Um, a new government website, covidtests.gov was launched yesterday. Tell me more about uh, what that site is doing to distribute tests to Americans. They're gonna send four tests to each American household uh, that requests one. I've already requested one for my household. And that's helpful because you may want to have a test taken before you go to visit uh, an elderly relative or have a family get together. I'm not sure what they will do in the future in terms of getting more tests and refilling. So we'll have to see. Yeah. Do you expect those tests to be delivered in a, a timely manner? Because the, the federal government is not in control of um, of delivering those, it's the US Postal Service. So, um, you know, there was a million people on, more than a million people on the test, on, on the site yesterday when I was checking. Um, and it seems like a lot of people are utilizing this new tool to get tests. Yeah, I think it's great. It's a great way to get tests out there. And um, I, I do anticipate, it may not be overnight mail, but it should be prompt. So there's different kinds of COVID-19 tests, and there's been some false negatives um, reported as more people are getting Omicron. Um, how do those tests compare in accuracy? There are different kinds of tests. If you're feeling sick and you're someone who might get very sick from COVID, you can't rely on what's called the antigen rapid test, and that's the kind that are being sent out. Those are the home tests. Then you really need a PCR test. It's much more accurate. It's much less likely to give you a false positive. 
So the antigen tests aren't perfect, but they're a good tool. And they're something that can help us reduce risk. Like all tools, it's best used in a certain circumstance in a certain way. And if it's used correctly in, a, in the right circumstance, it can be very helpful. But if you're sick and you may get very sick from COVID, don't rely just on that rapid test. Why are rapid tests not as um, accurate at detecting COVID? A rapid test looks for a tiny amount of the virus itself. It's called an antigen test. An antigen is the thing that your body reacts to. In contrast, a PCR test is what's called an amplification test. So it multiplies many, many, many times the amount of genetic material in a sample. So a, a PCR test is much more accurate, but needs to be done in a laboratory or with specialized equipment, whereas the antigen test can be done very simply with a test strip. What do you want to see ha happen from the federal government and even local governments in the coming weeks as more and more people get sick with Omicron and we're still combating um, a new variant that has really invaded our lives. There's a lot that each of us needs to do. For individuals, get vaccinated, get boosted, mask up, and balance what's important to you. If there are things that are important to you to do, please do them, but do them as safely as possible. For local and state governments, I really wish we could just get past the partisan disagreements. It's humans against the virus. And we know that vaccination is saving hundreds of thousands of lives. And still there are more than 10, 20 million Americans, 30 million Americans who haven't been vaccinated. So let's get people vaccinated to save their lives and protect those hospital beds that all of us need. Second, masks. Outdoors, not necessary. Indoors, when there's a lot of COVID spreading, very important to protect people and tamp down the spread. For the federal government, I hope we'll see clearer communication. I would like to see weekly briefings about COVID from the CDC. What's going on? What do we know? What do we not know? How do we know what we know? What are we doing to find out what we don't know? And I wish the federal government would do a better job of getting the vaccine manufacturers to make more vaccine for the world. Because if a new variant comes and it's not handled by existing vaccines, it's going to require the mRNA technology and the companies that hold that technology have not shared it. So we won't be able to protect the world and therefore to protect ourselves because fundamentally what happens in Southern Africa or Europe or India, that could cause the next variant that affects us. We got lucky in a sense with Omicron in that it's not nearly as deadly as Delta we might not get lucky with the next variant. And we need to have a no regrets policy. So we need to do more to scale up vaccination coverage and vaccination production to protect Americans by protecting the world. Dr. Frieden, thank you so much for discussing this with me today. Thank you, Ezra. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and thank you for doing this show. That was Dr. Tom Frieden. He served as the CDC director from 2009 to 2017, and he is the founder of Resolve to Save Lives.
One of America's most beloved television icons, Betty White, has died. She was 99. For over a half century, television audiences have embraced the sparkling personality of Betty White. And when I think of Betty White, I always see her with a big, open smile. Ladies and gentlemen, the lovely Betty White. Betty, come on out here. Best known for playing Rose Nyland in the popular sitcom The Golden Girls and Sue Ann Nivens in The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Betty broke barriers as not only one of the first women to produce television, but someone who seemed to get even more acclaim as they grew older. In fact, at age 64, White won an Emmy for Best Actress for her work in The Golden Girls. But her path to fame wasn't that easy. Born in Oak Park, Illinois on January 17, 1922, Betty Marion White and her family moved to California when she was just over a year old. In 1929, when the Great Depression reached White's family, her father built crystal radios to support the family. Soon after Betty graduated high school, she got her first acting job at the Bliss Hayden Little Theater. Soon after, the U.S. entered World War II, and White volunteered for the American Women's Voluntary Services. She helped to deliver supplies and took part in events for troops before they were deployed. After the war ended, Betty pursued acting again, but she was turned down time after time because movie studios didn't think she was photogenic. She went into radio instead and hosted shows like Blondie and This Is Your FBI. It's the Betty White Show from Hollywood. As Betty became more well-known, she ventured back into television where she hosted and produced The Betty White Show, a variety show that went on to be on NBC. Now here's Betty White. It's time to say hello again And start our show again And sing a song or two for all of you But stations carrying the show in the South threatened a boycott because African-American tap dancer Arthur Duncan was featured as a regular cast member. And in response, Betty gave Duncan more airtime and said, I'm sorry, live with it. By the end of 1954, NBC had canceled the show. In the 15 years that followed before the launch of the Mary Tyler Moore show, Betty hosted and appeared on various sitcoms and game shows. By the time the Mary Tyler Moore Show had casted Betty as the man-hungry Sue Ann Nivens, the show was already in its fourth season. Perhaps what Betty is best known for, however, is her role as the kind-hearted Norwegian-American Rose Nyland, one of the four Golden Girls. You know what's also a shame? What? When you sit down and your thighs squish out to twice their size, that's a shame. <laughs> Maybe it's because of the horrible St. Olaf falling leaf story. Please, Rose, if this is a story about a man named Leaf, I don't want to hear it. It's not that long. No. It has a surprise ending. All right, Rose, just the ending, but keep it short. Splat! It's all because of my high school history teacher, Mr. Stickelmeyer. He was a Nazi. Oh, come on. Rose, a lot of students don't like their teachers, but no, you don't... No, I mean it. 
He was part of a nefarious plot by the Germans to teach misinformation so America's youth would be really stupid when the Germans invaded. <laughs> St. Olaf was the first town chosen for their experiment. I guess they figured they had a leg up there. His orders came right from the top. You mean Hitler? Who's Hitler? The sitcom follows four senior citizens living together in Miami as they remind viewers that life doesn't end when you get older. The Golden Girls were played by Betty, Estelle Getty, Rue McClanahan, and B. Arthur. Although the show was outrageously funny, it dealt with issues including the AIDS epidemic, racism, and ageism. Although the show became hugely popular, B. Arthur, who played Dorothy's Bornack, the tall, quick-witted Golden Girl, decided to leave the show effectively ending the program. But the journey wasn't over for the remaining Golden Girls, and the spin-off series The Golden Palace was born. The plot follows the girls as they buy a hotel, The Golden Palace. Cheech Marin and Don Cheadle join the cast as the cook and manager of the hotel, respectively. But unfortunately, the series was doomed without B. Arthur's talent, and it was canceled by CBS after less than a year on air. But Betty's career was not over, because in January 2010, a Facebook campaign called Betty White to host SNL, please, gain traction, and before long, NBC confirmed that Betty was to host SNL as the oldest person ever to do so at age 88. A lifelong entertainer, activist, and friend, Betty White was that young. That's it for this week's episode of News Nerds. You can find us on the web at newsnerdspodcast.com. There you can listen to past episodes of News Nerds, Cow Pies, and other News Nerds extras. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. While you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Another way to listen is by listening every other week on Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time on KJVM Community Radio for the Gallatin Valley. If you are not in the Gallatin Valley area, go to KJVM's website, kgvm.org, to listen on their live stream.